0: Today's reading is from the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 20 to 23. That is Colossians, chapter 2, verse 20 to 23. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence this is the word of the lord
1: and thanks be to god and thanks be to god for friends like joseph and rose aren't you glad they're here this morning it's been so rich hasn't it i mean check it out church was fun today wasn't it it's like awesome Oh, it's great. Big transition. What I, what I want to tell you about is just there are some really exciting things happening around the country in terms of renewal, revival, particularly as it relates to prayer and uh, communities like Birmingham, Alabama, Little Rock, Arkansas, New York City. Some things are happening in our country that I am really encouraged with. And, you know, you can't manufacture revival. You can't produce it. But um, one of my heroes in the faith, Martin Lloyd-Jones, once said this, that he wanted to live his life in such a way that if God chose to send it, that he'd be ready. And I just want to call you this morning to be ready, to be the kind of church that seeks for a fresh movement of God in our city, because there's some wonderful things happening around our country. Here's the quote, if you guys could go to it now, that just really struck my heart and was just a deep conviction of my own soul. It's this, if we do things for God without praying... He cannot afford the risk of allowing us to succeed. For we would get proud and be hardened in our conviction that activism, not dependence on God, is the way for Christians to serve the Lord. Little sermon. Do you see why that's so important? I want you to know that when we pray together in Fresh Encounter service, it isn't just a prayer meeting. It is that we are seeking God for the fresh outpouring of His Spirit upon us so that if He were to choose to move in our city, we'd be one of those churches that were part of the equation of God moving in a fresh and new way. And that's what my heart is. That's what my vision is. That's what my desire is. And I just want you to pray that God would help us to know what our role would be in this city, that God would direct me to the right pastor's, to be able to build relationships with. You know, most revivals in the history of our nation were built on two things, friendships and prayer and the word came out of that but friendships and prayer and that's what happened in Holland a beautiful movement of God's spirit there it was built on friendships and prayer and and that's why I just want you to be praying and and asking the Lord when when you pray for College Park Church pray this God would you by your grace help us to be the kind of people that if you would choose to send a revival movement in our city that we'd be ready for that and can I call you regardless if he does that it's still worth seeking his face And to say, Lord, we want to be the kind of people ready for you whenever you show up, even if it were to happen today. So uh, my heart's just full of just some great times that I was able to have with some some brothers um, in Colorado Springs, and I just can't wait to see how the Lord directs us, especially as we move into fall, and I just ask you to pray to that end for us, okay? Let's pray together. Father, we uh, are so grateful for your grace, your word, and your spirit. Um, We're thankful for how you lead and direct in life, and um, we are so mindful of the fact that you're a sovereign God in control of all events in life. And and Lord, my heart today just rejoices with the folks at Crossroads Bible Church in their um, successful securing of another senior pastor. I thank you for your leading in Kim and Connie's life, their entire family. Thank you, Lord, for answering prayer and, and making the next step in their journey clear And I pray, Lord, great blessing upon them and that congregation. I pray, Lord, that the kind of fruit that I'm able to see all the time here at College Park would be very evident and clear there at Crossroads. We pray, Lord, that you would give Kim unction and power. We pray, Lord, you would give him the the sense of your presence. Lord, we pray for the light of the gospel to be clear in that section of the city. And we just thank you, God, for the way in which you move. And, Lord, today we're just asking you now to move among us. We, we know, Lord, and I heard this last few days of your movements around the country. And, Lord, I just dream of the day or the time when that could happen here in our city. And I pray that somehow, some way, we could be a part of that equation. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let me invite you to open your Bibles to uh, Colossians 2, if you're not already there with us, please. The title of the message this morning is Rather Provocative why man-made rules don't work. Imagine that you were a missionary and you went to Bible college and you felt the call of God upon your heart to go to some foreign mission field. You raised support and, and then um, went through language school for four years and then got on the mission field only to um, come home about two years later. And... Uh, When you came home to your home church, you were deeply discouraged, deeply worn out, just really, just done with missionary work, and somebody were to ask you, so what happened? Imagine your answer would be this. Peanut butter. Peanut butter? Chuck Swindoll tells the story of one such couple that peanut butter was the problem. In his book, Grace Awakening, he writes this, the particular place this missionary couple were sent to serve the Lord did not have access to peanut butter. This family happened to enjoy peanut butter a great deal, and rather creatively they made arrangement with some friends in the States to send them peanut butter every now and then so they could enjoy it with their meals. The problem was that they didn't know until they started receiving the supply of peanut butter that the other missionaries considered it a mark of spirituality that you not have peanut butter with your meals. You see, the line went something like this. We believe that since we can't get peanut butter here, we should give it up for the cause of Christ or some such nonsense like that. A basis of spirituality or bearing the cross of living was living there without peanut butter. Well, the young family didn't buy into that line of thinking. They kept getting their regular supplies of peanut butter, and they didn't flaunt it, they just enjoyed it in the privacy of their home. But pressure began to intensify. You'd expect adult missionaries to be big enough to let others eat what they pleased, right? Wrong. The legalism was so petty, the pressure so intense, the exclusive treatment became so unfair, it finished them off spiritually. You might say, well, peanut butter wasn't the problem. Legalism was true. But the fact of the matter is, is that legalism has a deceptive and a destructive power to use just about anything to torpedo people. And that's why this morning what we're talking about is so important the idea that man made rules don't work. Christ centred thinking requires us to realise that the Bible calls us to a focus on Jesus and that oftentimes our trusting in man made rules makes things very difficult and very confusing this is another one of those messages where i have to walk a really fine line this morning and i hope that today is helpful because the reality is legalism is something that not all of us are familiar with uh, last or 2 weeks ago i spoke for the first time on the subject of legalism and it was interesting to watch some of your reactions um, and by the way just so you know i can see your facial reactions okay so when you sleep i see it okay okay or when you roll your eyes i see it okay so what was interesting last two weeks ago was that about 50% of you were nodding your heads and you understood what I was talking about because you grew up in an environment or a home or a church where, man, that, the shrapnel of legalism was all over the place and you knew what I was talking about. And, that, and yet there was another 50% of you that just kind of had, had a, a cocked head or just a little bit of a confused look on your face as to, hey, what does this really mean and what is this all about? So let me try and give you a couple definitions of legalism that I trust will be helpful to understand what I'm really talking about and maybe help inform the issue. Because what we're talking about today, hear me, is really important. And I don't want you to miss this. If you were in a home, maybe you understand this clearly, but if you weren't, you still have to understand this, because this is a really, really critical issue. The first definition I want to give you is this, is legalism is treating certain standards as regulations to be kept by your own power to gain the approval of God. So you, you create certain standards, and you keep them, and here's the key, you keep them by your own power... So it's something that you do, and the purpose is to gain favor with God. So the goal in this definition is to gain a better standing with God. Maybe not necessarily that you'll somehow be justified, but God will love you more or be more um, approving of you. The trust is in yourself as opposed to faith or trust in Christ. And the means then are the standards that you create. And so the legalist, the problem is, is that the legalist is a very moral person. And and rather than having some sort of humble trust in uh, Christ's work or living dependent on him, the legalist, rather, is self-dependent and self-focused. So what he does is he uses his own power to make himself moral. That's the problem. He uses himself or his own power in order to make himself moral. The second definition is this. It is the creation of certain codes of conduct, that go beyond the teaching of the Bible, and then making conformity to these codes critical to being a real Christian or part of the group. So while the first definition was my attempt to make myself moral, the second attempt is my attempt to make you moral. The first one was my attempt to make my standing before God right. The other one is my attempt to trust in my rules so that I can make you righteous. Therefore, certain people are in, certain people are out. The boundaries, while not defined or created by the Bible, nonetheless are strong. And what happens is that now you live in an environment where you're trying to earn the favor of man. So the problem with the first is that I'm trying in my own power to create morality. And the problem with the second is that I'm trying in my own power to keep the church pure. Neither of which I can do. And the focus of both are me. Both of these focus on my own heart, my ability, and the essential difference between righteousness and legalism is that issue of belief. What is really worthy of trust? Can I trust in me to to create standards to earn my favor with God? Can I trust in me to protect and guard the church? And and often the legalist is a very well-meaning person initially who gets sucked into sort of the the current of trying to do right things, but they do them wrongly and it leads to a heart condition that actually is counterintuitive to the very thing they were trying to accomplish. In other words, they try to save the church of God and they lose the church of God. They try and preserve the church of God, and they bring into the church the very thing that Jesus died for. Because he died not only for licentious, wicked, immoral behavior, he also died for spiritually proud, religiously lost people who trust in themselves. The problem is we try to be moral, or we try to protect the church, and we end up with a very warped view of life, such that we're not able to distinguish the spiritual forest for the trees, we 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 just we lose our moorings. Heard a story recently about a, a pastor in a church that was trying to invite a particular friend of his to come to church. I think it was a neighbor or something like that. And this person was a little different, had some spiritual and emotional problems, and was afraid to come to a church. Not, all, not sure all the reasons why, but she was. But he kept working on her, trying to invite her to come to church. And, and she had this little, little pet little dog that was just her favorite dog, almost like her security blanket. And he said, why don't you come to church? She said, come on, I, I think you'd really, really um, be helped by coming. She said, no, no, I can't, I'm afraid of crowds. And then finally one day there was a breakthrough moment, and she looked at him, looked at her dog, and she said, I guess I'd feel okay, but can I bring my dog? And then instinctively he said... Sure you can Absolutely Bring your dog And so the next Sunday Sure enough She showed up A little nervous A little skittish But she showed up Had her little dog in her arms Her security blanket And she sat in the church Listened to the entire message And his heart was so grateful Here was this woman That he had tried to invite for, For so many months To come to church And there she was Dog in all And sure enough Monday morning He got a phone call Someone wanted to know What the church's policy was On dogs in church couple met with the pastor, read in the riot act about why there was a dog in the church, why he didn't do something about it, get the dog out of the church. And, and so he began to share the story of this, this troubled young lady and how he had tried to win her to Christ and invited her to church. And this was the first time she'd ever been at church. And she, she heard the gospel on Sunday and he was just so thrilled with it. And, and surely you would understand why you know this is so important for her to be here. And at the end they said, well, yeah, that's right, but what are you going to do about the dog? And there's something that just in our hearts just goes... Because we're not able to separate the forest from the trees. The problem with legalism is it it causes you to have a warped view of life. In high school, we used to tell the joke this way. And I came from a a Baptist church. was in a Baptist upbringing, so I'll tell this joke on me and my background. So a, a man dies, and he goes to heaven, and he's standing before Peter, and he asks if he can have a tour of heaven... And Peter says, "Absolutely, you can have a tour." And so he starts walking around the gates of heaven and, and everything else, the various accommodations. And he sees these these streets and these houses and these mansions that are there. And he starts walking around. and says, "Okay, here's here's where the, the Presbyterians uh, live. That's right. Yeah, we got them in the nice straight houses right here. And and, and, and here's where the here's where the, the the charismatics live. And so they walk by there. And and here's oh here's where the, the Christian Reform folks are. And the PCA folks are over here. And and then he says, oh." He come up to another row you have to be quiet here and it, sh- sh- quiet, quiet, quiet so you walk by these houses all these houses all these big rows of houses they get to the end he goes Shh, sh- sh- can't talk sh- sh- sh-. gets to the end and the guy looks at Peter and he says why, why do we have to whisper through here? he goes oh you see that's the Baptist row they think they're the only ones here <laughs> so change your denomination whatever you want okay to fit the the point is this, listen, our legalism can warp how we see the body of Christ. It can warp what we see here, beloved. It can, it can warp our passion for Jesus. That we become so passionate about so many things that we're talking more about those things and not about Jesus. And the reason why this text is so critical is that the things that this congregation of people were being asked to embrace... That Paul had to address were not going to work. And Paul gives us five reasons why legalism, why man-made rules will not work. Let me, let me give you these five things, it's kind of a distillation of what the text is all about. The first one is this. They don't work because number one, you are complete in Christ. It says, if you have died to Christ with the elementary principles of the world, why as if you were living in the world, Do you submit yourself to decrees? So here we come back to, verse 20, a positional statement. If you died with Christ. The word died refers to the believer's positional death with Christ. When he died, we died. When he arose, we arose. Well, what were you killed from? Or what were you buried into? What was it that was severed? The tense indicates, the tense of the verb indicates that it was a completed event. Or to put it positively, it means that you are complete in Christ. How so? it means that the union that you had with Christ means that you are now free from the dominion of anyone other than Jesus. Meaning the only person who you have to follow is Christ. And so to be buried with Him and to be raised with Him means that the thing that is the focal point in your life, as we saw earlier in our study in the book of Colossians, that my one confession is Christ Jesus the Lord. Over and over, the Bible points us back to the beautiful truth of what it means for us to be in Christ. Romans 6 tells us that like a master frees his slave when he, at his death, so you have been freed from sin by Christ. Or the way that death severs the bond between a husband and wife, so the believer is free from the dominion of anyone other than Jesus. Jesus. And what he means here is that those who are in Christ have been set free from the dominion of anything else, from the need to obey anyone else other than the person and work of Christ. And as a result, we have been filled with the Spirit, such that now, Paul says in Galatians, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. So here's what I would tell you. We need to do a lot more thinking, praying, exegeting, understanding and teaching on what it means to walk in the Spirit. We've probably spent enough time writing rules and we need to come back to what does it mean to walk in the Spirit because when you walk in the Spirit, you get the rules right and that the Spirit has been given, the personal presence of Christ has been given to us in order to help us to know what true obedience is. We're given the personal presence of Jesus, and what Paul says here is this, if you've received Christ as your Savior, you've died to everything else that promises to make you complete. You are 100% perfect before God, 100% complete, 100% cleansed. You are so filled with grace. In fact, one author said, you need to preach grace so much so that people might be hearing you so liberated in a liberated way that they might tend to take it to an excess. So therefore, you have to preach Romans 6, which means don't continue in sin because you've been set free. Sometimes we're so concerned about the exceptions that we take away the beauty of the liberation. What Paul says here, you're in danger of going back to the very thing from which you were set free. First, you are complete in Christ. There is no need for you to be made complete by anything else. Number two, it's also about don'ts that never last. Verse 21 says, don't submit to things like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. The tone was, there were people coming in saying, don't handle that, don't taste that, hey man, don't even touch that. It was the idea of a greater and greater restrictions. And Paul says in verse 22, The key in this is that these things refer, he says, to things that are destined to perish with the using. Meaning, these are things that are perishable objects in the world. This is the stuff that changes over time. The don't list is a list of things that when you use them, they perish. Meaning, First, that these negative rules don't really create new life. They're not effective. They don't accomplish anything. And secondly, these negative rules don't last because those regulations change from time to time. You might have the dirty dozen, the nasty nine, the forbidden four, right? But the problem is they change from one generation to the next. You saw some stats from Don about why kids reject church. Let me tell you one of the reasons why kids reject church is because they go from one church to another church, and what that church says is right and wrong in all the rules is different than what another church says is right and wrong, and the reality is they preach this so hard and this so hard that kids are stuck in the middle, and they don't know which is right and which is wrong. Or, you, let me tell you, parents, you can't create rules fast enough to keep up with your kids. You can't. I mean, who would have thought that 30 years ago, we would need to have um, a, you know, our pastoral ministry orb, a concern about internet usage. That wasn't even on the radar. In fact, a, a number of years ago, I don't know how long it was, but I, I, I read an article about how pastors initially responded to the radio. You know, initially when the radio came out, pastors were dead set against it, let alone sending the gospel over it, because it was using you know, technology that involved the prince of the power of the air, right? And they were against it. And there other people were against flying. And they said, if God wanted man to fly, he'd give him wings. And I flew in an airplane just a couple days ago that helped me be in another part of the country to dialogue with leaders. And what I'm saying is this, is that we have to be careful with what we're against because what we're against can often change. And if we draw the line too definitively about certain things and it's not the right things, we end up communicating something really bad about the nature of the gospel and really the efficacy of the church. Because the rules don't... Last, the third point is this. Paul says the other problem is that these things are man-made. He says in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. The don't list is problematic, not just because it changes, but because its source is fundamentally flawed. Now, I'm not suggesting that you not have rules in your home, but what I am suggesting is when you have a rule in your home, you know why you have it. And you also define it in terms that don't put your family in a special class of citizens as other families. That you can have personal preferences, but just be sure that you know those are personal preferences. And I'll illustrate this for you in a moment. In fact, look at Mark chapter 7 and verse 6, will you? Turn your Bibles over there, because this is an important cross reference. The word commandments in this text is a really important word. It says, in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. The commandments and teachings of men. This word, commandments, shows up in uh, Mark chapter 7 in reference to a conversation that Jesus had with the Pharisees about how they operated in life. In verse 6 of Mark 7 says this, And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? So, just so you know, legalism is not a new idea. It was there in the Old Testament, it was there in the New, and it's also in our day as well. Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips and their heart is far from me. Hear that. It is not people who are outside this building who are guilty of this. It is those of us inside the building. This verse is about us. People who honor God with their lips, but he says their heart is far from me, in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. See what happens? Is they, they, they leave the commandment of God by holding to the tradition of men. You can't have both. Either you have the commandment of God or you have the tradition of men, but when you embrace the tradition of men, you embrace, you, you, you depart from, you abandon the commandment of God. And then he says, verse 9, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, or I have given it to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. See what happens? they're supposed to provide for their family but they created this new spiritual rule that says if you give it to God or dedicate it to God you don't have to give it to mom and dad because it's for God and your usefulness to give it to God so what you're saying is I'm storing up my retirement and I'm going to give this to God therefore it's not available to you mom and dad do you know how sick that is? then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition here's what happens They created a new religious law that sounded spiritual, and in doing so, they violated the law. Man-made rules are ridiculous. They create hypocrisy, and the worst indictment of all is that they use external obedience to God as a smokescreen for what is really going on. Man-made rules actually abandon the commandment of God. They create disobedience while claiming to be spiritually obedient. And that is why, beloved church, you have to know the Word of God. Because nothing has power, nothing has real, lasting ability to change a person unless it springs from and conforms to the inspired Word of God. What I tell you this morning has zero power unless it conforms to the teaching of the Word. Hebrews 4.12, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and, uh, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This Word of God discerns hearts. My rules can't. And therefore, as my children grow older as they grow in maturity, I have to help them come from an infantile understanding of obedience to really understand what it means to be convicted by the Spirit, to have a life governed by the Word, and have a life that fits with the teachings of Jesus, not just mom and dad's rules. So we have to conform our lives to the teaching of the Word. That's one of the reasons why I love expositional teaching. Expositional preaching. You know what I mean by that term? It means the idea that the flow of thought from preaching comes from the text. It comes out of the Bible, that the word is the basis of your authority. It doesn't just mean verse-by-verse teaching or going through a book. That's part of expositional preaching, but not the whole. The beauty of expositional preaching is that the power of life change comes as the Bible speaks for itself. And you unleash the word. It it goes to a a reference point of where does the real power lie? Does the power lie in in my ability or does the power lie in the text? And therefore, I'm committed to expositional preaching. But let me show you this. There needs to be a balance, though, between something that I feel like is helpful and making that my man-made rule. For instance, I would want you to be careful to think that while I'm passionate about expositional preaching that it's not the only accurate way to teach the Bible that God ever uses. Otherwise, I'd have to declare Charles Spurgeon to be out of the camp. And I'm not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) So we have to be careful that we not become legalistic, even with a good thing like expositional preaching, which I love, and somehow say something like this, real churches or real churches that God blesses preach expositionally. See the difference? I can be committed to something and believe that it's helpful and works for me. But the line is, when I begin to say real churches or really committed Christians, when I start to say that stuff, that's where I've crossed the line between something that's helpful and now something that I've created a new rule, new law. Fourth, here's the problem. It looks spiritual, but it isn't. Man-made rules look spiritual, but they aren't. Verse 23, These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion, the abasement, self-abasement, severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against the flesh. So these things have an appearance. They appear wise. See, the trap is these things seem to have some lo- level of validity. There's a, a, a religiousness to them. The text says it's wisdom and self-made religion. And third, It has an element of self-abasement or asceticism, meaning that it creates or seems to create a level of personal humility. And then it's a severity to the body, severe treatment of the body, meaning that there's a promotion of rigorous discipline. So you see why this is problematic, don't you? Because he's talking about the call to be wise, being religious and being humble. I mean, I'm all all for all of you being more humble, right? (laughs) You didn't understand that, did you? You need to work on being more humble. I need to work on being more humble. And the reality is, humility is something we all need to embrace. Discipline. Who among us doesn't need more spiritual discipline? Or need to be somehow wiser in our pursuits? Or more religious? The problem though, it's not in the humility, the wisdom, the religious pursuit, or the discipline. The problem is because of its purpose. And the purpose here is that these man-made rules are feeding something inside of the flesh. Something that actually creates an enormous problem, which is why Paul said fifth, it doesn't stop the flesh. We're going to see what the problem is here. The final point is the most important It's why I have saved it at the end to explain and hopefully pull it all together. Verse 23 ends with a startling statement of these things are of no value against fleshly indulgence. They don't work. The problem is, is that we're often so concerned about how to make this person change, how to get my kid to change, and we throw rule and rule and rule and rule and rule. And the reality is those things are not going to work. You might be able to get external conformity, you might be able to get external obedience, but that kid gets out of your home and he runs hog wild. Because why? Because you never had his heart. You had external conformity, or worse, he embraces those and begins to think that now I've made it because I've kept all the rules and I'm in the box, I'm in the zone, and what he never runs to is he's never within the zone because the zone is Christ, not his adherence to rules. So why do, why do these rules not work? Why do they not accomplish anything? Here's why. And this is the one thing you have to hear. Because what is at the root of legalism and the root of the nature of mankind's rebellion is the same thing. The chief element and the problem of the flesh is a proud, self-reliant spirit. When Adam and Eve Took the first fruit that created sin. What they wanted was they wanted to be like what? God. That was the sin. They wanted to be like God. The lust desire of their hearts was they wanted to be free from the authoritarian rule of God. They wanted to have self-worship be a part of their life. They wanted to be great in their own eyes. And what happened was the self-reliant, self-dependent, get God off of my back. That's the root of every rebellion of all mankind. It's the root of legalism. And hear me, it's also the root of every licentious activity that anyone's ever been involved in. So don't you think for a moment that the licentious person and the legalism are two different camps of sin. They are the same thing, just a different expression. One person uses sensuality in order to express his self-worship and his desire to to be ruled, not to have anyone rule but himself, and he uses his sensuality to say to God, you don't own me, but the legalist uses religious activity, religious rules, actions and things that feel spiritual, but the end is the same. He says to God, you don't rule me, I create my own religion a self-reliant proud spiritually uh, filled heart with all of the things of self that's the root man-made rules create spiritual self-deception these rules don't stop the flesh they pander to it how does it how does it pander to it Because you create the rules and by keeping them you think you're great and you've arrived and the heart of sin is thinking you're great and thinking you've arrived. And in that respect, legalism can be even more dangerous than licentious behavior. How many messages have you heard on legalism? Or spiritual pride? Or calling us to see the reality of where our hearts could go. Because I would say to you, every person in this room who knows Christ as their Savior, there is a latent desire within you to commit the worst, most heinous, licentious sin. But there also is this tendency for you to create this rigid standard by which you judge people and define your own spirituality. And don't you for a minute think you're better than someone who's sensual. You just have a godlessness of a different kind. One author said this about alcoholism. Legalism is a more dangerous disease than alcoholism because it doesn't look like one. Alcohol makes men fail. Legalism helps them succeed in the world. Alcoholism makes men depend on the bottle. Legalism makes them self-sufficient. Depending on no one. Alcoholism destroys moral resolve. Legalism gives it strength. Alcoholics don't feel welcome in church. Legalists love to hear their morality extolled in church. Do you see the problem? Do you see why this is so important? Legalism is deadly, not only because it's rebellion against God, but it is also that thing that can cause you to not see the reality of your condition. People who are guilty of sensual sins feel guilty. But somebody who's guilty of spiritual pride feels religious. That's the problem. He feels great about himself. He doesn't look at himself in the mirror and have this aching sense in his soul of, why did I do that last Friday night? Instead, he looks at his soul and says, oh, I wish everybody was like me. And what he doesn't realize is that the appearance in the mirror is exactly the same person because godlessness, whether it's sensuality or spirituality, is godlessness nonetheless. The problem, the problem is that we, in the midst of all of our pursuit to know Christ, could actually be guilty of abandoning Him because the root of licentiousness and legalism is the same, self-worship. And you must understand that there is something within my heart that says, God, help me to not be like this. So I thought, Mark, how often have you prayed, not only God, keep me pure morally and sexually, have I prayed, Lord, keep me pure from rigid legalistic standards that also grieve your heart? Because, beloved, I think that there are probably going to be a lot more people in hell because of legalism than there are because of sexual sin. Because people with legalistic tendencies or legalistic spiritual pride don't know they're in trouble, yet Oftentimes, people in sensual sins know they're in trouble. So, do you see why Paul spent so much time extolling and drawing our hearts to the person of Christ? Do you see why it's so important for us to have a good understanding of the doctrine of Christ? Do you see the reality of the fact that it's Jesus who changes people's lives? He's the one that fills you with the Holy Spirit. And and my guess is there may be even some of you that are here today and and the reality is there is a sense within your soul that your proud, self-relying, self-justifying heart is horribly dangerous and some of you don't even see it. You don't even know that this text applies to you and maybe this very moment God by His Spirit is just opening your eyes and saying, yes, there's a tendency, I see it. Or maybe some of you grew up in church all of your life. You kept all the rules. And from an outsider's perspective, you are the perfect kid. And that's the problem. You are not perfect. You know you're not. And you have everyone deceived. And today I would plead with you to not resist the wooing of His Spirit. That God may be graciously opening your eyes and showing your your own heart. And my call to you today would be that you would run to Jesus. That you'd run to Him. To say to him, Christ, I need you. I have to trust in you. Or if you know this tendency within your own heart, this little part of your soul that tends to develop a judgmental spirit that you would say, Christ, get this out of my heart. As passionately as I I battle, wicked, sinful, sensual thoughts help me to battle this rigid tendency to make my own rules. Because at the end of the day, College Park, hear me, man-made rules do not work. But thanks be to God Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does. And Paul says, you've got to trust Him because you died with Him and you were set free. So don't go back. Instead, choose to cling to Christ. Lord, we know, I know, that this kind of message has to fall on hearts people lives who need to hear this message lord i needed to hear this i needed to wrestle with this text and i pray that you holy spirit even now would deal with us in the quietness of our hearts i ask you holy spirit that if there's someone here this morning who's known as the perfect kid, the perfect parent, the perfect husband, the perfect wife, and yet inside they know it's just a shell game, that this very moment you'd call them to become your child. And Lord, I also pray for brothers and sisters who, like my own heart, can be so quick to judge, so easily developing a man-made rule, so frustrated that they won't get it that I start becoming harder and less on my knees. Oh, Lord, forgive us for our tendency to want to take the rod out of your hand and use it in our own. Oh, God, we need today to teach people and ourselves learn how to live, to walk in the Spirit, and so, in so doing, fulfilling the very love and law of Christ. So help us, Lord. These are heavy matters and important matters your glory and for your name's sake in Jesus name amen